What do you want? Screaming queens. Listen, I am two seconds away from calling the police. Screaming Queens Horror Podcast. What do you want? Screaming Queens Horror Podcast to your death. Something is trying to get inside my body, and you want to sleep with me. Better give me those shoes, they're mine. Give them back to me. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. Hey, shouldn't you be folding towels somewhere, sniffing jock straps? It is time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. Rubs the lotion on its skin or else gets the hose again. What have you done to its eyes? I see no manhood between your legs. You're going to need death now. <laughs> the living dead. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Get away from her, you bitch. It was an asylum. And it was hell. 20 years of pure hell. The devil wins sometimes. What's that? Gods and monsters. Welcome to episode 100 of Scream and Queens, the queer horror podcast. My name is Jonathan Larkin. My name is Martin Fennerty. Uh, I'm Jonathan Butler. And I'm Stephen Moore. So we are 100 episodes old. Very, very old. Yes. I can see the wrinkles on everyone's faces, <laughs> even Stephen's. Yeah, he's aged horribly. <laughs> the wrinkles say... 30 on his face. Someone said in work the other day, after I got my hair cut, that I looked like a cool dad. What? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so angry by this. It's literally been traumatised me for a week now. From now on, he will be referred to as Daddy Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> so, 100 episodes with... Uh, can you believe it? I can't believe no. it. No. We've now got as many episodes as Martin's had birthdays. Yes. Stephen's had STIs. <laughs> <laughs> and Jonathan's had cheap hooker girlfriends. <laughs> Just in the last week. Yes. Yeah. It's been a slow week. It's been a slow week. It's been a slow week. But that does explain the cold. <laughs> <laughs> So Jonathan's got a cold just to celebrate the hundredth birthday. Stephen, hung over again. Yeah. Would you care to explain? But there seems to be a bit of a theme emerging here. Like a few episodes ago, you had like concussion from a hungover dance floor incident. What happened this time? I've got concussion again. <laughs> this time, I thought I was all cool, showing off my skills, dancing on a pole, stripper pole in a club, and I did it all very well and good the first time. A few shots of sambuca and whiskey and stuff later. Tried it again. <sighs> Turned upside down, dropped to the floor, and smacked me head really smacked it and then tried to pretend that it didn't happen to everyone in the club <laughs> I, was, I was like it's so cool I'm fine I didn't even know what happened that would be the conclusion yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a bit yeah. scared going to sleep thinking I'm going to wake up yeah. you didn't this is hell yeah. you're in hell I knew this is not <laughs> gosh um, well um, 100 episodes um I can't, yeah, I can't, can't quite believe it. And we're nearly at the end of our third year on, on air as well, mm-hmm. online. So it's going to be four years soon. Yeah. God, I deserve a medal putting up with you, people, <laughs> all this time. We've got more listeners than we have with done episodes. We, we've actually grown. Our listenership has actually grown, mm-hmm. which is which is good. Thank you for keeping on listening. Yes, thank you very much. I mean, I, I think a lot of podcasts start out and then like the listeners tail off. 
whereas we've gone the other way around mm. so I'm really happy about that yeah. that's so yeah we really appreciate all the listens all the downloads um, and all the feedback I was actually going to tweet about our 100th episode and ask for opinions on tonight's ep- on t- the film we're covering tonight but completely forgot sorry so <laughs> really badly prepared for our big milestone episode we'll have a milestone on 101 yeah, yeah. yeah. Which like it was so obvious. Yeah. yeah, well, that's it. Everybody celebrates that, don't they? Yeah. In fact, all we've celebrated with tonight is a cup of tea. Yeah. <laughs> Are we going to get a letter from the Queen? <laughs> Which one? A Queen. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, for our 100th episode, we thought we should go back to the roots of why we do this podcast. So, we love horror, we're mainly queer. Jonathan has to be different. Someone's got to be. Someone's got to be. This means we love horror movies that have a queer sensibility, be that homoeroticism, campness, and affinity with the other, the outsider. But there are also movies that have so many queer creatives involved in the making of them that they just have it running through their big gay veins. And tonight's film is a prime <laughs> example of that, would you say? Yeah. Um, so way back in our early days, we covered Bride of Frankenstein, which is a queer horror classic. Directed by James Whale, an uber homo from the north of England, and starring, amongst others, the stately homo Ernest Thesiger and fag-hag extraordinaire Elsa Lanchester, The Brides of Frankenstein married expressionism and high camp in a story of two dandy scientists playing dress-up with a Barbie doll, cobbled together from cadavers, who would marry their flat-headed adopted son and subvert the stereotypical family image. It didn't end well. Let that be a warning for all you gay dads out there. Um, but before Wales struck gold with The Bride, he made another curious slice of gothic melodrama. Adapted from a novel by his fellow northerner J.B. Priestley, Wales gave us howling winds and a screaming queen in the form of the nostril-flaring, lip-piercing Horace Femme and his dysfunctional family living in a decaying post-war Britain. Audiences didn't quite know what to make of it, but if you know, you know. So sit by the fire, knock back some meat gin, and have a potato. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to enter the old dark house. for a rest. Really, Philip, you can't stop here. For pity's sake, either go on and go back. You can't expect me to spend the night like a hot brown rat on the mountainside. It's better to stop and drive the car gently over a cliff, isn't it? Well, it won't help things, losing your temper. I've never been in a better temper in my life. I love driving a hundred miles through the dark, practically without headlights. I love the trickle of ice-cold water pouring down my neck. This is one of the happiest moments of my life. Um, so the so the old dark house. I got a shock before because you know Andy Roberts who does the nasty pasty podcast mm. who who will guest with us at, at some point on an episode we haven't already recorded. Um, <laughs> he revealed he's never seen it. 
which I was shocked by because he's so knowledgeable mm-hmm. and he's a queer horror fan and all that. Um, but we were just talking before, weren't we, about the fact that it is actually surprisingly, it's still quite, um, quite a rare. It was lost. Well, well it was considered it? a lost film for a long time, wasn't it? Yeah, because yeah. it was remade, wasn't it, in the sixties? Yeah. Columbia bought the rights from Universal and and made the remake of it. And yeah. I think after that, it was sitting in a Universal vault somewhere. Right. Until until a director, I think, sometime in the nineties, mm. tried to take it out. Yeah, is that Curtis Harrington? I think so. Yeah. The old dark house sort of trope started in the twenties, didn't it, with the Cat and the Canary, which that that got remade about five hundred times mm. as well. Um, but my favourite version of Cat and the Canary is from nineteen thirty nine, and there's a lot of similarities with this film. So I think we'll cover that in our in our next one hundred episode. <laughs> so the old dark house. Um, it stars Boris Karloff. Ernest Thesiger, Gloria Stewart from Titanic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you mean, Gloria Stewart from Titanic? See, well, I thought you'd, I thought you'd catch on to this. I, I thought you'd know. I thought you'd be the one who, who was of. Why is she the only one? Yeah. yeah. The the woman who throws the thing. Oh my god, I fucking love her. <laughs> she's the old woman from the Britney song. <laughs> I. <laughs> and Titanic. Oh, she's such an icon. Well, that bit when she throws it over and she goes, uh, yeah. it's like literally it's my life. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> In this film, she throws a window open. She does. She She almost throws a back out at one point. (laughs) Gloria Stewart, Raymond Massey, Mervyn Douglas, Eva Moore, Lillian Bond and Charles Lawton. Um, And it's quite stellar cast, I think. Mm. Um, I enjoy some people more than others in the film, but Mm. we'll get to that. So the the plot of the film is um, ripped off the internet. Driving through a brutal thunderstorm in Wales, three travellers take refuge in an eerie house owned by the Femme family. Um, Reluctantly reluctantly admitted, I'm not even going to read that. So they end up having a strange dinner around a big roaring fire. I love that fireplace, Mm -hmm. by the way. and they, they, this family are weird. There's Horace, who is this weird sort of um, alternative. Uh, he's, he's, you know, he's an atheist, isn't he? He's not yeah. spiritual at all. Mm. He's really sort of bitter and neurotic and, and stuff. Um, and then he's got the sister, Rebecca, and she's like raving about chastity. She's she's a zealot, religious yeah. zealot. Yeah. To say she's abrasive is an understatement. That face. She's got a face like potato. 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 Um, they've got the weird, creepy butler Morgan, played by uh, Boris Karloff, who's an alcoholic, and there, there are other members of the family who are, we are yet to meet. Mm. Yeah. And then, as the night goes on, two more travellers turn up out of the thunder, out of the rain, to seek refuge, and everything sort of goes to shit, really. Mm. In a very sprightly, 72-minute-long film that just sort of speeds by and it's finished yeah. before you know it. It's um, It's, yeah, it it's like really hard fast. to keep up. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I am a big fan of this film. I think it's I think it's a really good fun. Mm. Um, thoughts, for initial thoughts, Martin? Um it's really, really atmospheric, and it's, it's like great. the perfect sort of film to be watching at this time of year, where it's dark outside and where it's raining really hard, and when you've got rain that comes down the inside of the walls in your house. <laughs> like I do. Oh no! Oh, you Hopefully, I won't anymore. Damping the walls. Yes, damping the walls. Moist. Have you got a man into them? Um, yeah. <laughs> That's good. Um, but yeah, it's this this time of year is a perfect time to watch this film where it's the. You, when it's got dark at four o'clock, five o'clock, yeah. you can put this film on and 
watch it with your tea on your knee. When the nights are drawing in. Yeah, mm. or with a tray of tea and biscuits and cake. And I think I might have tea and biscuits with it. Jonathan yeah. Butler, what were your thoughts, yeah. initial thoughts on it? I loved it. I thought it was really good. I hadn't seen it until, um, I think Eureka brought out uh, their edition of it last year, I think yeah. it was. I hadn't seen it until then, but I'd heard about it. But yeah, I loved it straight away. And then watching it again recently, I forgot how it was. It's mm. so, so good. Yeah, great fun. Stephen Moore, the pole dancer in the room? I had actually saw this one before. Like, <laughs> yeah. Go um, me. <laughs> yeah, wow. And your recommendation a few years ago, I believe. But I'd completely forgot I'd seen it until it opened. And I think it was literally like three lines in. I remembered how fast the dialogue was. And I was like, I've seen this. I've definitely seen this. And I think just the way they talk to each other is amazing. Yeah. The performances are just great. Just that first scene in the car has just got so many great one-liners. Yeah. Just, just that opening scene. Yeah, it's fabulous. And I don't even think... Like, to me, the story didn't make any sense to me. It still doesn't make any sense to me. It just sort of... Un- it's like it unravels, isn't yeah. it? All yeah. the way through. It's like a night unraveling in front of your eyes. But you're really, not bored by anything and you just kind of go along with the fun ride of it. Yeah. So I think it's great. It feels a lot like a play. And mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just thinking that as being J.B. Priestley as well, I was thinking yeah. it would definitely work as a play, I think, because it's pretty much self-contained in one place, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. If, if you were watching it in the theatre, it would just be the dining room, mm. wouldn't it? Yeah. And these people would just turn up and say, oh, we've broke down outside, let us in, and yeah. it'd just start like that. So J.B. Priestley is famous for an spectacles. I love that. Yeah. It's great. Which I've never seen. But there's, there's lots of there's versions. There's loads of online. versions. Mm. Isn't there um, a version with, um, I can't remember what his name is, uh, an old actor, British. Alec Guinness? Not Alec Guinness, Alistair Sim. Sim? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It is. Uh, okay. I think there's a that's version me. with Alistair that's Sim. Very, that's think that's, very good. That's the one I've seen, and there was a BBC one a couple of years ago, wasn't there? There was, and there was a BBC one in the 70s. In the 70s, I think yeah. BBC do it like every 10 years. And yeah. I think it's always on stage somewhere around the country, isn't yeah. it? There's yeah. always a production on It's definitely somewhere. worth... The most recent one was good, but yeah, but yeah it's definitely worth yeah. it's definitely worth a book. So he JB Priestley wrote that and he wrote a book called Benighted, mm. which this film's based on. He wrote it as a way to deal with feelings of disenfranchisement in the UK after the war. Uh, he sort of it was like a bit of a social commentary wrapped up in a gothic novel. Well Inspector Calls itself. Is there's that, a lot, does that, that there's a lot yeah. of class in that, isn't it? It's yeah. about class and social standing. Right. Okay. Which I think you get a little bit of in this film, but do, I think they probably Minimised it because he didn't think the audience would really care that much. Yeah, think. there was a lot of the messages in it were sort of played down a little bit. Weren't they? By James Whale in making the film, he just wanted yeah. to make an entertaining yeah. horror comedy type thing. Um, but there's still stuff in there throughout mm. the film. Yeah. I think the stuff that you pick up on. Yeah, you have Philip and Margaret. They're like the they're the married couple, aren't they? Mm-hmm. And they're travelling through um, deepest darkest Wales, and it's just they're trying to get to Shrewsbury. Is it? Shrewsbury. There's rain. There's mudslides. There's loads of lovely little um, miniature cars and yeah. stuff that they use to show the car being run off the road. And they've got Roger Pendle on the back seat, and I never yeah. quite worked out what's his, what's his relationship to them, why is he travelling with them? I don't know. Is that ever explained? I think he's just a mate. Oh, I thought it's a bastard. No, I don't think it is ever really explained. And they turn up at this house, don't they, because they're, they're stranded, and um, they, they knock at the door, and uh, just just the, um, the design of the house itself from the outside mm. is just amazing. Mm. And it's not like overly gothic either, it looks like a real old country house, I yeah. think. It's more gothic inside than it is outside. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's like the TARDIS, isn't it? They step into like a giant freaking yeah. huge castle. Castle Dracula or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And I love that these characters straight away are very witty, as Stephen was saying, the yeah. script's really witty. None of them appear to be stupid. They're not yeah. stupid horror film characters. No. They're really funny. Um, and then the first moment you when the when they knock the door and the door opens and um, it's Boris Karloff's face that you just, see. That shot is just unbelievable. It's just like half his face in it's like in shadow, isn't it? It's mm. Amazing. I'd love to go back to 1932 and be in the audience when he first appeared because people yeah. would have fucking shit themselves. Well, like. there's a little disclaimer at the start of the film, isn't there? Oh, sure, that yeah. Yeah. What's um, it say? Basically saying that um, to have, to. You know, to avoid any arguments, the Boris Karloff in this film is the same Boris Karloff who played the monster. So it's kind of like, I don't know, maybe it's saying if people want to argue that that's not the same person, it's saying it definitely is. Yeah. Because yeah. I think in a lot of the advertisements for it, they advertised it as, you know, Boris Karloff from Frankenstein. Did you say something the, the, just, it's, um, it's, it, for anybody who doubts it, it's, um, Due to the infinite variety of his acting skills, yeah, mm-hmm. just bigging them up basically. Yeah, it's true. But though, this is the first film he was credit. He actually had a credit in because he didn't actually appear in the credits apparently in Bride of Frankenstein. He was a question mark. Yeah. Right. So this came before Bride right. of Frankenstein. So this is yeah. the first time he had he actually had a credit. Because isn't it true that for the original Frankenstein he wasn't even invited to the premiere? He, yeah, he didn't sure. go to the premiere. Yeah. I think around the time he was, um, isn't it famous? There's a famous disagreement with him and James Whale where James Whale referred to him as a truck driver. Yeah. Because when he was working, he would dr- he would drive the trucks for Universal yeah. and on like his days off. <laughs> God. Um, so his first appearance is just like pure gothic horror That's style. A, yeah, brilliant. And then he just sort of mutters because he's like dumb, mute. And um, I love the line, even well short, not to sound like that. <laughs> <laughs> so they're invited in in a, in a, in a fashion. And um, then we have the uh, arrival, the uh, sashaying down the stairs of Horace Femme. My name is Femme. Horace Femme. Uh, my name is Femme. Horace Femme. And that's Ernest Thesiger, who is just amazing. I love him. He's just this like stick thin, pierced kind of thing, isn't he? He's like a fucking uh, hat rack. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he, he's the he's he's just the embodiment of Horace. I don't know how you could be look anything else other than the way he looks. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's kind. Of, well, there's a theory, isn't there? When Thatcher was. On in Broadway in London, he was on. He was appearing in plays in London, and they think he's he's so based on him. He, the description of him is so accurate that they think oh, yeah. J.B. Priestley must have seen him on stage and based the character on him. Wow. So yeah, it was almost sense. it yeah. was almost written for Probably. him yeah. to play. Wow. Yeah, I'd like to think that's true. Yeah, if it's not, it certainly became him. Yeah. Because you know that Priestley was watching, you know he, that he was in London around the time that he was that he was on on stage, so it could well have happened. Yeah. So he invites them in, um, and he um, I like the bit where he where he's going to get them a drink, and he says, "I like gin." <laughs> yeah. I like gin. <laughs> so it's literally just gin. gin. That's all he's got. Um, and um, his sister Rebecca turns up, and she's this crotchety old, screwed up potato face woman, who um, I just. At first, I wish she'd been played by Una O'Connor, who was Minnie in Bride of Frankenstein. It was mm. the little, the little mm. scratchy. Yeah. yeah. However, the more I watched this actress, even more. I just yeah, think she's, she's incredible. Yeah. You can't stay here. You know, she's 
I love the, the dialogue straight where someone will say something to her and she can't understand she doesn't understand what she's yeah. saying and then she just repeats it back to themselves yeah. it's like that's what they were telling you and it's like it's brilliant comedy time and she's great it's a great bit when they're um she comes in and she goes, what do you want? And they go, how do you do? What do you want? <laughs> how do you do? <laughs> Isn't it even a line where it's like, what's, what's all the shouting? What's this fuss about? And I'm like, is that from League of Gentlemen? Is that where yeah. we got it from? Yeah. yeah. And, um, and Horace says, this is my sister, Rachel. She's quite deaf. And sometimes she's extremely deaf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I loved the bit where, um, so when they tell them why they're here and they, they tell them that it's flooded outside, Horace reacts like only a queen would. <laughs> and he drops a <laughs> vase of flowers. <laughs> flowers and whales that they're all doomed. Yeah. We've got to go. We've got to go. <laughs> yeah, where are they going to go? Doesn't he throw the flowers in the fire? He says, my sister was getting, the, was preparing a bouquet of flowers. Yeah. And she just, he takes them out and just throws them straight in yeah, the fire. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's great. Um, that I, was the line when it says um, the, the woman what I can't remember her name goes to it's character she's Margaret Margaret he says um, oh I'm, I'm a bit wet I should probably change out of these clothes and then that's when Rebecca goes oh you look wet you should probably change out of those clothes <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah I've just said that yeah um, I thought the, the throughout it the thunder sound effects yeah. just transport mm. me back to being a kid and being scared and and amazed by these universal films. I loved the bit where Rebecca refers to the house as a very old house, a very, very old house, and it made me think of Bag of Chips, saying very, very, very harsh. Very, very harsh. <laughs> I thought that as well. Actually. <laughs> I loved the, um, the bit in the car as well with the, the map. And, um, <laughs> it's just it's, snogging it's, right. it's like so cool, right? It seems to represent this country very well. It's all underwater. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, that is literally Wales. End of. Yeah, yeah. No, Wales that, hasn't improved at yeah. all. That is a great intro, Still I think. Yeah. What, is, what is the line? It's like, oh, there's no need to be so bad tempered. And he went, I don't think I've ever been any more good tempered in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I love driving 100 miles, oh, yeah. no lights, <laughs> and I love the water dripping down my neck. Yeah. <laughs> so Margaret has to go upstairs and get changed. Yeah. Um, and Rebecca follows her. Follows her. I love that shot of down the hall with the with the um, upstairs hall with the curtains billowing. It's yeah. pure gothic horror, isn't it? It's wonderful. Um, I think this scene is one of my favourites. In fact, it's a great scene, isn't it? Because it's funny, but it's so so dark. Yeah. Because isn't this the scene? They go to Rebecca's bedroom. Bedroom, yeah. Uh, and just the bedroom itself is just like this sort of. It reminds me of Mrs. Bates's room in, in mm. Psycho, in that nothing's been touched and mm. nothing's changed over so many years. Yeah. You know. I think her dialogue as well. I think in that scene's brilliant. So she starts talking about her sister who died, doesn't yeah, she? Yeah. And what the house was like. Mm. Yeah. And doesn't isn't she quite gleeful? Doesn't she talk about the sister and say that she broke her back and died in agony in bed? And yeah. she's like made up when yeah. she's telling the story because she was wicked. Yeah, yeah she was a wild one. Fell off a horse. Yeah. Godless to the last. Godless to the last. Yeah. Laughter and sin. Yeah. Laughter and sin. Yeah. The house was always full, filled with laughter and sin. She's hag horror on legs, isn't she? Yeah. yeah. With varicose veins. Um, I love it. And then um, that the way he films through the mirrors. That's unbelievable, mm. that shot. And her face all distorted in the mirror well, is so scary. It's oh yeah. The line before that is where she's talking. No, where she's getting dressed and she puts on like the silk dress. Yeah. And she touches it and goes, "Oh, that's fine, but that'll rot." Yeah. And then he t- then she touches her like on the chest mm. and goes, "That's fine, still, but that'll rot too." Yeah. So it's like this reminder of age. Yeah. And then mm. when she looks in the mirror and it distorts her, so she's getting this reminder of, you know. 
Absolutely. of age uh, yeah. what what will become of her and it's just like and that's pure horror isn't yeah, it? I think is, it's is. so clever because that mirror is a genuinely distorting mirror yeah. yeah but she almost she almost looks like um like Rachel yeah. in yeah. that reflect a reflection yeah. almost changes from her own s- to Rachel's s- face s- without them doing anything yeah. Quite yeah. clever with Rachel yeah at you're all. right it's great so you know Margaret here she strips off when we see it in her undergarments. So this that is that because this is pre Hayes Code, because I felt like that looked quite risque for the time. Yeah, probably. I don't think I was. Uh, when was the Hayes Code? Is that like thirty four? Because also because she because Rachel talks about um, Margaret knowing the pleasures of the flesh. Yeah. She she yeah. she like she talks relatively explicitly, basically saying you know what it's like to shock man. Yeah. And that wouldn't have happened. Later on in the day, it's explicit in its way, isn't it? Yeah. There's a great line where she says, You think of nothing but your long straight legs and your white body and how to be how to please your man. Mm. And she never denies it, she doesn't yeah. like look horrified at the issue, at the slut shaming, which I guess if it had been if that had happened post Hayes Code, mm. the getting round, it would have been she would have been horrified, yeah. had this room once. She died when she was 21. She was a wicked one. Handsome and wild as a hawk. All the young men used to follow her about with her red lips and her big eyes and her white neck. But that didn't save her. She fell off her horse hunting. Hurt her spine. On this bed she lay month after month. Many of the time I've sat here listening to her screaming. She used to cry out to me to kill her. But I'd tell her to turn to the Lord, and she didn't. She was godless to the last. Well, I'd better change my wet thing. They were all godless here. They used to bring their women here. Brazen, lolling creatures in silks and satins. They filled the house with laughter and sin. Laughter and sin. And if I ever went down among them, my own father and brothers, they would tell me to go away and pray. They wouldn't tell Rachel to go away and pray. <laughs> and I prayed and left them with their lustful red and white women. My father's still alive. He's upstairs. He's very old. Oh, is he? He's 102. That's very old, isn't it? He's a wicked, blasphemous old man. You're wicked too. Young and handsome, silly and wicked. You think of nothing but your long straight legs and your white body and how to please your man. You revel in the joys of fleshly love, don't you? That's fine stuff, but it'll rot. That's finer stuff still, but it'll rot too in time. Don't! How dare you! Because I think on the surface of it, I was sort of... At first, I was I was quite sort of um, judgmental of the way that women are portrayed in the film because I thought, oh, you're either the old harridan, like the old hag, mm. or you're the young slut, you know, mm. you're the young slapper kind of thing. Um, I don't think he was portrayed like that. That was just... That was Rebecca I, projecting that onto it. Yeah, well, that's it, yeah. It. And I, I, think, um, I think more like 
I don't, I, I, do you know what? I don't actually mean that. I don't mean slut. I mean, you're either the old hag or you're the young, like, Dolly Bird's Cupid doll. There's mm. nothing in between, if mm, you know what yeah. I mean. It's one extreme or the other. And at first, like, just aesthetically, I was watching it thinking, oh, that, that sort of dates the film a lot. Yeah. But then, as the film went along, which we'll talk about more when the next female character comes into it, yeah. and then watching those female characters together, I thought, actually, no, this is... this. The female characters in this are better written than a lot of female characters yeah. in the film now. Mm. Yeah. Especially uh, the one who comes in next. Um, the sort of this is like they're all sort of unapologetic for for who yeah. who they are. I like when she talks about um, is it the granddad who's upstairs? I can't remember. Who yeah, yeah, he's a hundred and two. He's very old. Oh, is he? He's a hundred and two. Oh, that's very old. <laughs> <laughs> Wicked blasphemous old man. I've got some questions Ooh. before we go to the credit. The, the dinner scene. Yeah. Why in that drafty cold house in the middle of that storm mm. does Margaret undress from her tweeds and not just put on dry tweeds and puts on a, a diaphanous silk dress because mm. she'd be fucking freezing but then not only that why does she open the window? Mm. I'm sorry did you just question why she changed <laughs> into a glamorous outfit? I was going to say yeah, I, in, I, that, in that house yeah. In a film yeah. directed by James Whale. <laughs> I wasn't complaining. Now, <laughs> in a film directed by the man who Incredible. made the Bride of Frankenstein look like uh, like a Nefertiti swan. But <laughs> <laughs> well, why open the window? Dramatic effect. So you can like flail about in the wind and look even more dramatic and glamorous. She was a bit pathetic at that point. Isn't it? Why not close the window? It's something to do. I'm sure to explain it. It's something to do with the book. Apparently, the room absolutely stinks. In the book, in the book, it's uh, right. Uh, I don't have a hair dry, but did he say that it smells like a rotten womb? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Something along those That's lines. That's not explained. But in it's the not film. it's not explained in the in the film, but probably yeah. in the book the, the room it smells very right. musty. Um and <laughs> <Right>. I just <laughs> musty womb. <laughs> the musty yeah. womb of the stories. <laughs> the musty womb of Rebecca Fair and other stories. I don't know. I didn't mind the opening of the windows because it just meant there were more thunder sound effects and more billowing curtains. And it was very dramatic, and that was yeah. wonderful. But I get your point like, that she's, well, she's a bit. She's not. She's not a stupid woman. She's not stupid, but she is a bit of a drip mm. compared to um, Gladys. Because when Gladys arrives, I just think, "Oh my god, yeah!" And she steals the film for mm. me. It might be a bit of like almost again. It's like a class thing. She's because everyone else. I think it's coming up in a minute, but it's like. All the other people in the in the film, basically speaking, like a very high British accent, don't they? Mm. Whereas when Charles Lawton comes in and he's just got his Yorkshire accent, hasn't he? Mm. So this is her. She's putting he's, on like she's putting on her airs of like I'm going out to dinner. Yeah, I want to impress these people, so I'm going to look as good as I can. Yeah, and it's kind of what it's sort of what she's used to, isn't it? So she's the autopilot. The, yeah, the Wavertons and Pendrel are, are old money, aren't they? Yeah, and yeah. um, Porterhouse, Sir William Porterhouse and Gladys. Said William Porthouse is new money, and Gladys isn't any money. She's no money, and um, the femmes are like a sort of distorted, broken, yeah, British aristocracy Mm. or whatever landed gentry or whatever who have fallen apart at the seams, aren't they? Like, used to have money, and then now all they've got is the old bullet, yeah, yeah. So, for for me, I think it's like a status, it's like I think this is where like the class comes into it for me in the film, yeah, and it's aesthetically just to look at it, isn't it? It's to say. If you look at it, you, you, you see her as a certain type of person compared mm. to all of the others, mm. her and her husband. 
It is a gorgeous dress. She looks amazing, doesn't she? Are, are you just jealous because you couldn't wear that dress? <laughs> yeah. Do you want me to get you that dress yes, for Christmas? Please. Okay. Um, so they go down to dinner. I love when she says that um, oh, were you worried that it was a long time? And he goes, I thought you were quicker than normal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, yeah. I took a long time. Yeah. yeah. I love this a bit where they're having dinner where um, Horace is chatting away and he's talking about um, the fact that he's godless and Rebecca's religious hmm. and he doesn't believe in her gods and all that. And, she, and Rebecca, who's deaf, says, What I can't hear, I can see. You're blaspheming. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder that thing about. Did you think I took a long time? J.D. Priestley later on did lots of plays themed around time. And Inspector Calls is one of those. Mm-hmm. Time s- s- moves in very st- in strange ways in his plays. And I wonder if he was like in the book. Mm-hmm. There's a bit of that mm-hmm. going I, on in I a supernatural he, way. I think he's just having a jab, a backhander, isn't he? Right. From the, well, possibly, you know, because of the stars yeah, yeah. in the car. And she's having a go with him. So it's like a married couple just that. Mm, you know, yeah. They're the kinds of jabs you have with each other, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, not actual jabs, because that would be wrong. That would be, yeah. Maybe in the sequel. <laughs> um, so, dinner, have a potato. Have a potato. Have a potato. Um, but every time, he say, every time he says it, it's still funny. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> uh, it, it's like it's funny the first couple of times, and then... The last time he does it to shut up. Yeah. That yeah. man is just fucking great. I've never heard someone put someone down by offering them a potato. Yeah. But iconic. You just know that he's got a whole lifetime of telling people to shut the fuck up. Yeah, in the politest way possible. Yeah. yeah. House turns up with Gladys. So he's like brash northern. He talks a bit like a character from Emmerdale in the, in the 70s. It's, it's a Yorkshire York accent. Yeah. I think that's Charles Lawton's actual accent. Yeah, I think yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. So Charles Lawton, another notorious homosexual. Mm-hmm. So we're on a homosexual count of two on screen, one behind the camera at the moment. Um, and so they, so she's like a good time girl, isn't she? She's an ex-show girl. Yeah. And the actress was actually an ex-show girl as well. Yeah. She's part of that Ziegfeld Follies. Yeah. yeah. Some some interesting pictures online. Yes, yes mm. I'm sure you've um, done your extensive research, Jonathan. <laughs> Um, I loved, so Charles Lawton, when he shows up, he says, that's a grand fire, because I was thinking, that is a fucking grand fire. Mm-hmm. I love that fire. I love before this though where they had the knock at the door and they're all sitting at the table oh, and, yeah. and Horace is kind of like oh I suppose you'd better let them in <laughs> he's like he really doesn't want to but he's just yeah. like well you know they're outside and the weather's bad so it's like oh, go on then yeah. I'm still traumatised by the fact that they were just eating slices of beef with a potato and then like 20 pickled onions on top um, yeah and just bread that made me feel sick <laughs> yeah, it's so weird that because she's like cutting up the bread and passing it round to everyone yeah. and she's like and you know, no one takes stuff for themselves. They yeah. Everything's passed around. And she's eating away, chomping away with her mouth open. And that was distressing me as well. Rebecca yeah. yeah, She open. just take, but she, she serves herself. They doesn't she? Yeah. She just take yeah. shitloads of meat and everything. Yeah. I think Gladys is meant to be like 18. Mm. You wouldn't know that her and Margaret were different ages. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I think Gladys is actually meant to be 18 yeah. and Margaret's meant to be yeah, she is you. Fun. A more sophisticated slightly older woman because even that there's a, I think there's a little bit of tension between the two women because she knows what kind of woman she is doesn't she's yeah. like she's young and mm, yeah. she's just after this guy for his money and um, it's it's not proper is it <laughs> well she's like unap- un- unapologetic Gladys as well yeah. she, she even says I'm not pretending to be any better than I am yeah. and she says these people know a chorus girl when they see one I'm not a very good chorus girl either you know, <laughs> yeah. she's, she's quite self-deprecating but she's got a power to it in that yeah. she sort of owns who she is she's not pretending yeah. to be anything 
Whereas um, Margaret is all, like, like you say, she's the type of girl who goes to a drafty old gothic castle and throws on a diaphanous <laughs> evening dress yeah. and freezes her fucking tits off, mm. but just as long as she looks wonderful. Yeah. Whereas this girl's not ass, putting men's shoes on and all that. Getting her feet wet, amongst other things. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a great... So this, around this time when Horace Femme says something that I think is very interesting, uh, when he says, I'm wanted by the police. Yeah. 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 Um, and I, I found that to be interesting. I was like, oh, okay. And then looking into it, so in the book, um, he expands on that, but only a bit. He doesn't. He's not explicit, but he says, I'm wanted by the police. And they say, why? And he says, because of this country's archaic laws. Yeah, go on. So, I think Horace Fenn uh, has obviously been caught importuning with mm. a, with another gentleman. That's what he's, um, he says, why else would we be locked up in this house? And he goes, no account with taste. And he goes, no. Yeah. <laughs> like, with the best snarly face I've ever yeah. seen in life. Because yeah. I, I love that when, obviously, when Charles Lawton appears, and it's like, I think all these characters, all these other people look down on him because he's the most like uncouth of the lot of them. But he's the only one who's actually got a title. He's sad, isn't he? Yeah. So these people who put on their fake accents and their airs, and none of them are, yeah. you know, lords or anything like that, are they? Yeah, they resent him even more for that. Then, as well. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. They've done nothing for their titles, and he's. Earned it. He's, uh, he's really earned Yeah. Have a potato. So there's a, another great moment with Horace, another interesting moment where. So Philip's going to go upstairs and get a lamp, and Horace is asked <laughs> to go with him, and yeah. he really doesn't want to go with him. Yeah. And you're like, so you've got that moment where it starts to tip over into a bit more horror territory now because you're thinking, well, what's he so scared of that's upstairs? But there's an interesting moment where he, has, where he tries to get Philip to go into his bedroom with him. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I have something to show you. <laughs> but he never goes in there, and we never go in there. No. We never, never show never inside of. What's in what's in Horace Femme's bedroom? Like fucking Jeffrey Dahmer's. <laughs> Jeffrey <laughs> Dahmer's bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> Lampshades made from. Foreskin. Foreskin. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Just one. Just stretched. <laughs> <laughs> it's one way of preparing a broken wind. <laughs> it certainly is. Um, so these, yeah. So they go upstairs. It's getting creepier and creepier because Horace was like scared to go up there. And we don't know why. And then we start to hear the sort of high pitched insane laughter coming yeah. from upstairs and you're like oh no what is this mm. so there's that sort of house of horrors vibe as to what's around the next corner and don't they actually almost mention Saul at the dinner table when he's describing his family yeah yeah. but when he goes to mention Saul Rebecca shuts him up yeah mm. yeah. I love actually I think Porterhouse has like a little monologue here doesn't he talk about his wife who died oh yeah it's pretty Manchester he, he like killed herself that's, that's amazing this scene I think because he's just talking about it it's just there's so much sadness to it yeah when he's talking about like because um, he's you know he progressed in his company and he's making making money and then he took his wife along to this party but uh, all she could, all she wanted to wear was this cotton dress oh yeah and then everyone else looked at her and what's the actual line is um, she didn't think the cotton frock was good enough and she like killed herself over it because all these people rejected her, and yeah. it's fucking so sad. Yeah. Well, that's another that's another comment on class. Well, that's mm-hmm. it. Yeah. yeah. I think that part of this film, I think, is some of the strongest bits. Yeah. It? But yeah. I just think it's not played up enough unless you kind of know when to look for it. I mm. don't think. Yeah. 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 That was where I clicked on that. There was, there was even a big class thing. Yeah. That was the moment. So I was like, oh, I get the rest. Because it's interesting because J.B. Priestley wasn't asked to adapt his own book, was he? The cop Brian Levy, I think the writer's name is. Um, but it's nice to see that some of that stuff sort of filtered through and I yeah. think 
you know, as much as James Whale was sort of going down the more um, sort of typical kinds of gothic horror, horror yeah. thing, that stuff is there if you're looking mm. for it. Yeah, I wonder. I think they were both they were both from York, weren't they? Whale yeah. and Priestley. So they probably imagine they probably got on quite well. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a great like random moment, isn't there? When so when Philip and Horoscope stairs look for the lamp, and then that uh, there's a random moment where uh, Margaret's doing like shadow play on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I love that bit. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. But that's calling back to the scene, isn't it, where she touches her and tells her that she'll rot. So she comes back and yeah, Rebecca yeah. comes back, but it's via shadow, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And you see like her arm coming into the thing and yeah. She keeps gross. touching her on the chest, doesn't she? Like invading the space. But Pendrel and Gladys have gone outside. What have they gone outside for? Do, do, he left whiskey in the cards and he, yeah, he says, You want a drink, you want a drink and she says, I like whiskey as well, so they both go out together. So she, so Margaret runs out to shout them because she's like freaked out. Yeah. Uh, so she stood at the door screaming for for Mister Pendrel, and then the great moment with um, Boris Karloff's hand yeah. appears over her head to close the door. To shut the door, it's so scary. Um, that's another bit that reminds me of Cat and the Canary. There's mm. a really similar moments in that. That's actually really scary. It's like genuinely like, scary, mm, isn't really it? Scary. Yeah. So Morgan is now drunk. And horny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Essentially, he just wants a bit of Margaret, doesn't he? He's chasing yeah. around, trying to yeah. get a grip. Definitely. <laughs> so Pendrel and Gladys. I'm knocking back whiskey from a bottle. It's just like fucking in like the car. garage or the bar. Yeah. yeah, and they're like really getting on. Yeah, it's quite sweet, isn't it? Beyond getting on, they've known each other two hours and they're desperately in love. Well, they're engaged in an hour and another two uh, yeah, minutes. <laughs> Literally, they've said about two lines to each other up until this point and they were in love and I just did not. Mm. Yeah. It's of the time with the love story development. <laughs> it's of the time. She, I mean, but she's a fast mover as well, Gladys. She doesn't she's a flighty 18 year old. She doesn't let the grass grow. And also, there's a big storm outside and when, you, when you're in that sort of pressurised situation, you do just sort of act on impulse and, mm. you know, fall in love very easily. That's what happened to me and Ben. You, you met in a barn drinking whiskey. We did. <laughs> we did. It's great, a great, dirty, filthy line of dialogue when they go back into the house mm. and Porterhouse oh, yeah. is suspicious. Oh, yeah, amazing. Um, and he, and she says that she got her feet wet. <laughs> so you got your feet wet? Is that all? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's not all. Oh, that's not all. And then they are engaged like really quickly. Mm. Well, he asks Bill first, doesn't he? Yeah. He says to Bill, um, but then it's no. He says he's gonna ask her in the morning, doesn't he? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Because that's the end. God, spoiler alert. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, yeah, she even says, doesn't she? I don't love him. He he gives me money. Mm. But she all. But she. Realizes that it's just for company because he's lonely. Basically, yeah. he still misses his wife because they don't they don't have sex. Really. Yeah. It's yeah. just it's just company. Yeah. She says he doesn't expect anything. Yeah. If you know what I mean. Oh. Yeah. I think that's always a really sad. Yeah. Yeah. People do that. Yeah. It's sad and sweet at the same time, isn't it? Because you think at least he's getting some happiness from it, mm. and it's quite sweet of her as well to be doing to be going to that. She's not just rinsing. When she says, "When she says, if I, I, um, if I was, um, if it was a, if it was good chorus girl, I wouldn't be with you." And then she changes her mind and says, "No, actually, I would because I like yeah. you." Yeah, mm. she's, she's got a heart, hasn't she? Just so you know, I am available if anyone would like <laughs> to um, fund my lifestyle. <laughs> 
But when yeah, he's, I, I do offer sex as well. It's fine. <laughs> but um, if you're after a chorus girl, just don't let him anywhere near the stripper pole because that <laughs> never seems yeah. to end well. <laughs> unless, unless you, unless you want, you know, want to be a sugar daddy to somebody with a very strangely shaped head. <laughs> yes, constantly concussed. Constantly concussed. <laughs> if one of your turn on is concussions, concussions, <laughs> and, and just so distorted heads. <laughs> concussions. <laughs> Concussed, disfigured strippers. Then <laughs> there you go. You have got Stephen. <laughs> Stephen's found his niche. <laughs> so while all this is going on downstairs, upstairs, they find Sir Roderick in his bed. It's played by a woman, isn't it? Played by Elspeth Dudgeon, who was literally just hired because they thought it would freak people out, and she yeah. was more convincing than an old man. But it was, she was credited as. John. John Dutchman. Yeah. yeah. I suppose, like, when yeah. people get really old, men's voices get croaky, so it does sound it was a bit, a bit like, too sound. obvious being a woman, but yeah. yeah it the always was like, straight away. I didn't see it straight away, but the second she spoke, I was like, that's a fucking woman. Yeah. That is definitely a woman. Yeah, yeah. But we had Chase Very strange, but it's that sort of unsettling shift where you're like, that's really strange, but it works because it's meant to unsettle you, isn't mm. it? Yeah. The second time, I watched it twice in preparation for the film, the second time I watched it, you can sort of tell from her face. Because it's, it's, it's very... It's, the beard's very fake, isn't it? Yeah, and her... The, 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 the angles of her face are too soft mm. to, to be a man's. Yeah, it clicked visually, but not straight away. It was definitely the voice that gave it away. Yeah, because the big deal is made of the fact that Jack Pierce, who did Frankenstein makeup, did Boris mm. in this film as well, but... Yeah. The jury's out on whether he did the makeup on yeah. Sir Roger because it's not really that the, great. The, the shot when they first go into the room, into the bedroom, is amazing because it follows them in, yeah. and then as they as they move over to the left, the camera carries on, yeah. and then it moves around the bed to mm. the right side. That big so they giant come back room, into, yeah. and that big giant bed, yeah. with a little frail old man in the middle. Yeah. Inside number nine is an episode of the first series, I think it was, and it was um, a nanny who's left in charge in a in a big old house. Of uh, the sleeping like granny upstairs, or whatever, and it's an old man who's possessed by a demon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the shots in that remind me of this scene. It's got to be taken from it. Yeah. It's got to be inspired by it. Um, it's a nice bit of gender bending casting. It is, it? yeah. Mm. Totally. Totally. Um, so, Roderick hiding away in the attic upstairs also, I think, might have been an inspiration for um, there's a 1983 film called House of the Long Shadows, which mm. was a favourite of mine as a kid. Um, with Peter Cushion, Vincent Price and Christopher Lee all in the same film and it's an old dark house film and they've got a brother who's been locked in the attic since he was a kid and he's called Roderick so I think that might be inspired oh. by this oh, just question with him um, drunky but like guy Morgan. Um, Morgan. Morgan so is that character like in lots of these type of films or is it just because it reminds me of Lurch from Adam Sandler and I was like did they copy this specific thing or is it just like a consistent character that's in this kind of gothic horror because I don't know I'm trying to think Catalina Canary it's a woman yeah Miss Lou Miss Lou Miss Lou oh Miss Lou because I can't think of other examples but I thought that just might be me being well you'd always think of Creepy Butler Mm. I think so yes there must be another (laughs) must be but it's a mute butler that kind of just groans and that's very late and he's very Mm. tall and yeah muscular Mm. yeah so I wonder if he did steal it from this and there's the whole yeah you know the butler did it and he done it so there's always a I think there's always a suspicious butler isn't there Mm. who's the butler in Clue 
Tim, Tim Curry. Tim Curry. But his camp isn't he? he's more like he's over the top. Arching over the top. But I think yeah, creepy butler is a bit of, bit of a trope, but maybe it starts a bit this. Agatha Christie maybe. Mm-hmm. But it'd be one of hers originally. Maybe. When was she writing? Was that twenties? Twenties, yeah. It sort of ratchet starts to ratchet up the horror the horror sides of it now, doesn't it? So you've got creepy old man, Roderick. Mm. And you think, oh, this is the creepy thing that we heard laughing. Mm. This is the scary person in the family. And then there's another one. Yeah. <laughs> it's like another level up in the attic. Literally. Yeah. Saul is in the attic. Because um, the Morgan has a fight with Philip, doesn't he, first? Yeah. And he smashes the lamp in his face. Yeah. yeah. But doesn't he talk about having a nightmare? He just talks about having a nightmare about him being like a monster. Philip. I'm sure he talks about that. Oh, I don't know. I must have missed that one. Yeah, I can't. Um, so do we get the promise that Saul will be scary and dangerous and that's great horror and then um, th- then the bit where the hand appears brilliant. lots of hand stuff in this film yeah, yeah. works though doesn't mm. it the ha- creepy hand coming down the banister because you're not it sure works. who it is first are you? you just yeah. see the hand and then that's when Morgan appears so you think it's Morgan but yeah. then Morgan yeah. moves off and the hand stays there yeah yeah yeah. and then Saul appears and he's like this little weird kind of camp queenie in a way yeah um, and he says, "I know things about flames that nobody else in the world knows." Well, initially, he does he, he basically acts as if, I mean, if, at first, I think you fall for it because he acts like they're they're in prison to me. I've done nothing wrong. Let, let mm-hmm. me out. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you're like, you thought, you think, oh, maybe he's right then because yeah. this family's weird. Because he yeah. says they killed, they um, killed, they yeah. killed Rebecca, yeah, um, um, Rachel. Rachel, Rachel, is it? Yeah, Rachel. Sorry, and um, and Morgan beats me. Mm. Yeah, I did yeah. believe him. Yeah, yeah. At first, he's coming to the first. Done. Yeah, and it's just, and then it slowly as the conversation goes on, more and more, then you realise that face changes. Yeah, like, yeah. He's great. He's really creepy. Um, they talk about this talk about Pendrel, the character of Pendrel, mm. representing casualties of the First World War. Yeah, because he was in the trenches mm. and stuff. But watching it, I thought Saul was a bit more like a casualty of the First World War. I yeah. thought he was representing, you know, like. People who, yeah, people who came PTSD. in with shell shock, yeah. shell shock um, and were just left to rot in an attic. You know, they, were, they weren't kept, there were no provisions, they were shoved away and they yeah, were the yeah. guilty secret in the attic. Morgan, that's even po- Morgan possibly as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because when, so, spoiler, so at the end when Saul dies, yeah. and Morgan holds him. Yeah, it's so, it's so weird, out of the yeah. blue, but really touching. Yeah. And the emotion there, because that's Boris Karloff, isn't it? Because he's an amazing yeah. actor as well. You could say that there was that Morgan and Saul were possibly of the age that they might have fought together. Mm-hmm. They might have come home together, s- suffering with shell shock and yeah. you know all fucked up in all kinds of ways, and just left because no one understood and no one cared. Yeah, yeah. Saul yeah. might have been at like a public school officer. Yeah, and Morgan was Morgan was like the working class Batman. Yeah, his valet or his whatever. Valet. So when he dies in Morgan's arms, there's like a this Morgan's got like a bit of an understanding and a, and an empathy for this crazy. Yeah, because he's thing he's like trying to attack Margaret, isn't he? And then Margaret says, "There's Saul over there," and that's when he turns around and just leaves her and goes to find him. Yeah, yeah. Because that's a decent stunt, isn't it? They fall out, and you can see it's not like oh, yeah. it's not like dummies, is it? Yeah. They actually Falls two people f- fucking crack on that floor. Oh, as yeah, well. God, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The f- they really go for it in that yeah. fight, especially. Yeah. Um, Especially the fella playing Saul. Yeah. Because Saul starts, because he's a firebug, isn't he? Yeah. And he's trying to burn the house down, so they're trying to stop him from doing that. Says, doesn't he let the rotten place burn? Yeah. Yeah. But in another way, though, you, you can kind of 
understand what he's saying because there's obviously something very rotten in that place. Yeah. And you can't, I mean, obviously killing everyone, that's not good, but you can see why he would want to do that. Yeah. You can see this place is totally fucked up. Yeah. Well, he's the truth, isn't he? Yeah. He's the dirty secret in the middle of it all. Yeah. So when he gets out, he wants to set fire to the place and, and get rid of it all, but, yeah. but they want to keep that hidden and then carry on the way that they've been, yeah. you know, sort of rotten away in this big old house. At one point, Roger tests one of the doors and it's locked. And then um, Saul says, locked, and glad, then you can't leave me. And I mm. thought that was really, a really creepy moment. Yeah, yeah. That's well, right, yeah, but, the, but loaded, but yeah. Because yeah. the girls are locked in like a, yeah, a cupboard, a aren't cupboard. they? Yeah. That's it, because they drag Morgan off into the kitchen. Don't they? I think there's another great shot there as well, with Sonny Montague, where they, they're fighting them, aren't they? And then they're pulling him down the yeah. corridor towards yeah. the kitchen, but it, he's, he's coming towards you, and the camera's... Yeah. Going, oh, it's brilliant. Yeah. Pitchell's shrieking. Yeah. Put him in the kitchen. Yeah. Put him in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, yeah, so, and then, um, so the end is um, Saul dies and Porterhouse almost dies. It's Pendrel, isn't it? Pendrel, sorry. Yeah, they yeah. think he's dead. Yeah, yeah, they think he's dead, but he's not. But you think he did die in the book? In the, yeah, in the book he's supposed to die. It's a bit. It is a bit of a cop out end, and I thought that when he woke up, I was a bit like, mm. "It's the Hollywood yeah. ending." Yeah, it? I know. Um, and she shocked. He's alive, alive. I tell you, which I was like, "Yeah." But that's just a reference to Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Yeah. yeah. I like the fact that in the end, it sort of doesn't go where where you expect it to, because I think gothic horror in a big old house with all these weirdos and then your heroes trapped there. Someone sets fire to the house. I think you think the house is going to burn down yeah. and everyone will run from it and burn, mm. and the femmes will be left yeah. dying in the in the fire like Frankenstein's monster. Mm. Um, that doesn't happen. And there is an element of, like, the film does show a bit of sympathy towards all of the weirdos. It shows yeah. some sympathy to, to Saul and the rest of the femmes, I think, in a way. Yeah, I do. Because he gets a sad death, doesn't he? He gets an emotional death. Yeah. Because a lot isn't a lot of what Priestley wrote and and James Whale as well was inspired by the experiences in World War One. Yeah. So they're probably saying that this is kind of you know me as you say as you were saying about Saul and Morgan. Maybe this is a result of you know they've gone out and done this for this con- for their country. Yeah, and came back and they've been totally messed up. Yeah, so we should have a bit of sympathy for them. Yeah, in a way because yeah, so um, the house doesn't burn down. The storm passes. Um, and then the next day everybody sort of gets on with their lives so so you've got like the normals getting on with their lives mm. but also the freaks get on with their lives they mm. just all go back to doing what they were doing in the first place don't they mm. the friends yeah. just carry on they do Horace says goodbye it's so very, weird very oh. <laughs> <laughs> goodbye so happy to have met you <laughs> 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 and, um, yeah. it, I keep on getting her name mixed up Rebecca Rebecca just snores out of the window. Yeah. She huffs and shuts, closes the window. I really love that. Um, obviously, because it's black and white, like you can't tell that it's morning. So they just insert a cockerel noise, mm. and then everyone makes a point of saying good morning. <laughs> <laughs> like we've changed time of day, have we? Because it's so strange, even the way like Carlos Fem just totally like disappears from the film, and he's like, yeah. "Where's he gone?" And everybody yeah. reappears again. It's like. Did he just sleep through all that? Was he, no, was he just not even bothered? He went into his bedroom and yeah. played with his dead yeah. boys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he played with the desiccated corpse of a god. Yeah. <laughs> I did find it very hard to keep track of anybody in this film. Like, I didn't know where anyone was. Yeah. Like, they just 
all moved around so fast so for no real reasons. Mm. The dialogue is very, very quick, mm. isn't it? So fast. I think God, those actors did well. Yeah. I, mean, I know they'll have had breaks and they've done different scenes, but keeping that pace up is like yeah. amazing. Yeah. 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 When like sometimes we watch films and we don't but they like they don't miss like they don't waste the scene. This one is like to the nth degree. <laughs> I have never seen something so just efficient, but like yeah. probably like just a little bit too much. Yeah, but it just like, speeds along, doesn't it? Breathe, just breathe for a second. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think most most lines of dialogue, I think, have got something to them. Haven't they? Either mm. funny or the insightful or emotional. You know what I mean? I think most of the film, it, there's not much waste, is there really? Yeah. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> they possibly unusually. We're normally saying that they could have cut half an hour off that film. Yeah. They could have cut three hours off that film. Yeah. With this, they could have easily extended it by eight minutes and it still wouldn't have been a, a slow yeah. film. I, I was I would say fifteen minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I'm gonna go out on a limb. Yeah. Um so yeah, it kinda of didn't go it doesn't go in all the ways that you think it's gonna go. It's not it doesn't fit into any sort of box really. It's sort mm-hmm. of comedy, it's sort of horror. It's got stuff that it wants to say under the surface. It's got a very queer skew on it. And that means that the film didn't really soar at the box office. It no. didn't do big business. People didn't really know what... It wasn't monstrous enough. The monsters the monsters were all human and, you know, all that. Um, well, so. the, it wasn't, wasn't really monstrous enough to be a monster film, was yeah. it? Yeah. They wanted more like Frankenstein, didn't they? Yeah. So in the end, he gave them... James Well gave them that. He did The Invisible Man, which was... A hit. I think he wasn't Glory Stewart in that as well. I think Glory Stewart's in the Invisible Man. Is she? Yeah, yeah I think so. Oh, okay. And then, of course, Bride of Frankenstein. So he had those successes. Boris Karloff was a busy boy. In the same 12 months as he made, as this was released, he was in Fu Manchu and The Mummy. Yeah. Mm. Um, he was in both those things. Um, but for me, the standout for this film is Ernest Thesiger. Yeah. I absolutely love him. Um, so we have discussed Thesiger on our earlier episodes about Brides of Frankenstein. Um, so you can go back and have a listen to that to hear more about him. But just Google him. There's so much on. There's a lot online that you can find out. Um, things like the fact that he was a needlepoint expert. Yeah. <laughs> who descri- described himself as looking like uh, uh, rusty as an old file. <laughs> and he had a he had a, um, a habit of getting up at parties and saying, "Anybody fancy a spot of buggery?" <laughs> <laughs> The only nostrils I've ever seen flare wide are, are Kenneth Williams's nostrils. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if it's a camp thing. I wonder if Kenneth Williams was a fan of, yeah, of his because there's there's got to be a link. Yeah, definitely. Did you know that Anastasia was the grandson of the first Baron of Chelmsford? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, of course he was. Naturally, he wanted to be a painter originally, but that didn't work out. So he got into acting, theatre mainly, but then he joined up to fight in World War One. Which we've talked about that before. Mm. Um, he originally wanted to be in the Scots regiments because they got to wear kilts. Mm-hmm. Wow. He didn't last very long. He got injured and got sent home. Um, and he used to sort of he used to tell people that it was awful because of all the bad language. <laughs> <laughs> he's um, like an actual icon. He's yeah, he's amazing. Um, James Whale. Um, I think yeah. James Whale met him on stage. Yeah. So then when I think because Whale was a director and actor first, wasn't he yeah. stage? And I think that's where they met. Um, and so when so James Wales wanted him for Horace Femme so he invited him out to Hollywood to be in this film so that's where that all began um, and then he went on he was also in The Ghoul which is another Karloff film 
Um, he was a great friend and crochet partner of Queen Mary. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> um, and he's even have said to us based his appearance in later life on her. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. But he really is iconic. He lived in a lavender marriage with Jeanette Rankin, the sister of his close friend and uh, graduate from Slade, William Rankin. Close friend. Mm-hmm. So William Rankin painted Thessinger's portrait, portrait in 1918 as well. So what do you think was going on there? Married the sister to get closer to the friend, mm-hmm. to cover up what was going on with the friend. Although he was, out, he was out, he was openly gay, he wasn't mm-hmm. ashamed of it. Uh, he was very fond of a pearl necklace, <laughs> apparently. All kinds. <laughs> All kinds. All kinds of pill <laughs> um, Well, Charles Lawton was married to um, Elsa Lanchester, wasn't he, for a long time? Exactly. So. There's so much queerness mm-hmm. in there. Um, so, also, Ernest's wife was thought to be a, a, a lesser. Yeah, yeah. With Margaret Jordan, the poet. Wow. And also, which I think is lovely, oh, he painted his toenails green. Also, which I think is lovely, <laughs> is there's a portrait of Ernest Lessinger in the National Portrait Gallery. I was going to ask if there, if there was, because mm-hmm. it rank in. But it wasn't by him, so there was one, it's a portrait by Sir Gerald Kelly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. It's really interesting. Um, so, James Whale, which I didn't know this, James Whale, um, we talked about him a lot more in our Bride of Frankenstein, and we talked about Gods and Monsters we did, as well, yeah. didn't we? So, go back and listen to that. Um, but, uh, so his dad was a miner, his mum worked in a factory. So, um, he was always interested in the arts. But his big break in theatre didn't come until he was a prisoner of war in a German prisoner yeah, of war yeah. camp. And he started putting plays on yeah. in the camp and got, got the book for it there. Mm. And he was like, oh, I like this. So he was there for 15 months and he put on plays for the guards and the other prisoners. Um, so then when he got out, he was like, I'm going to carry that on. I'm going to yeah. ca- can keep doing that. A family scene, a family niche. Yeah. <laughs> So he like worked at Birmingham Rep. He was all over theatres, all over the country. I suppose you've got a captive audience in a period I mean, of you. Yeah, you can't escape. <laughs> you don't want periods of mass destruction and doom, but they do. They do. People do find talents in those times. People they do, flourish like, they yeah. do, You lots of things wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been for the disruption of the First World War in the thirties and the forties. We wouldn't have had all sorts of things. When the chips are down, really, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he was always he was known he was out he was out he, he was he got married but he was always out he, mm. people knew um, but that didn't really flourish until he went to Hollywood um, and then um, he made his first film was um, something about soldiers oh um, Jenny's End Jenny's End Colin Clive was in that who went on to be Baron Franken, uh, Dr Frankenstein in Frankenstein he made Frankenstein in 31 he tried like rom-coms and stuff but none of them quite worked out as well as the horror movies but I didn't know he made Showboat the famous musical oh, Showboat yeah. mm-hmm. wasn't that one of his last films yeah yeah because so he was with Universal Showboat was with Universal and then there was like a big takeover at Universal so Carl Emily lost Universal to another to, uh, you know it's very con- mm. convoluted but even though Showboat was successful, Carl Emily and James Whale were friends, so James Whale got sort of cut off right. with, with Emily, so he was persona non grata. Charles Lawton, who played Porterhouse, so yeah, as we know, he so he also directed... Night of the Hunter. Night yeah. of the Hunter. Which we've also done an episode yeah, of. Yeah. Yes, which you can go back and listen to that. We all loved our films, didn't yeah. we? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I didn't realise until I accidentally clicked on his Wikipedia page, and then I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. yeah. 
but you, so cool. But you did say there's like elements of whale within Night of the Hunters, isn't there? Definitely. Well, it's the expressionism, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Whale was inspired by the expressionists and, yeah. and so, that yeah. bleeds into Yeah. Also married to Elsa Lanchester. God, imagine that, they that, that circle of friends. Imagine the parties. And, uh, that would have been hilarious. Ernest is going to come over and do a bit of crocheting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Crochet. Crack on, on to you for a bit of buggery. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody fancy a spot of buggery? Right. So, yeah. So, there we go. Big queer credentials in this film. And I think it was the perfect film for us to cover for our 100th episode. Yeah. Do you know the story about, uh, you know, the woman who played Rebecca? Do you know how she got the role? What's her name? Eve, Ava Moore, is it? Yeah. She was uh, Lance Olivier's mother-in-law. Oh, yeah, yeah, I just heard that, yeah. <laughs> it's bizarre. <laughs> and she, she wanted, you know, said, oh, let's see if we can find a part for her and something. So, which one is the one from the Titanic? Gloria Stewart. Who's, the um, one who's in the silk dress. Yeah, in the, dress. the lead. Mm. She sort of fades into the background. I think once yeah. Gladys and, and Sir William come in, mm. I feel like the two romantic leads, they're a bit drippy, aren't they? They're yeah. a bit like, Ugh. And I almost feel like James Whale and the writer weren't as interested in in, in covering them as they mm. were in, in as covering yeah. the other people, really. I think that's true because there was her and Melvin Douglas. So they were the only Americans on set, so everybody used to stop for tea, but they never invited her and um, her and him Aww. to tea. <laughs> so they just had to have like a drink on their own. Um, and she said, uh, Karloff is very polite. Karloff's, yeah, everybody. He's very charming. People just say nice things about Karloff all the time, don't mm-hmm. they? He was amazing. He's such a good actor. Absolutely love him. Um, and also, last little tidbit was that uh, the house was designed by Charles D. Hall, who designed the castle in Dracula, and then mm-hmm. all, all of the universe and okay. stuff, so all the Frankenstein stuff. So it completely makes sense yeah. that it, this film looks like this. Apparently it was reused in quite a lot of films, wasn't it? But, um, the set. The set was reused. <laughs> it was so big. Uh, but apparently it's like no one else could use it like that so it's hard it's hard to tell what other films it's mm-hmm. in so there you go so this film's got all the queer credentials it's got lots to say about class and the state of England after yeah. the first so world yeah, I would have so liked, much going on I would have liked a little bit more of that but I like Inspector Calls and that's what that's about I'd like to, yeah I'd like to see that yeah I would have liked to see a little bit more of that but it's, I think it, it's perfectly fine as it is yeah. it gives you enough where you can kind of see like the sadness of some characters and the resentment of some other characters and mm. it really works, I think. It doesn't hit you over the head with it. No. If you just want to watch it for a fun time. Yeah. Some well, spectacles with yeah. Alistair Sin. I will. It's There's good. something quite inspiring of thinking that, like you were just saying about when things are really terrible, things can, other creativity can flourish and mm. it's nice to think that J.B. Priestley and James Wilde came out of the trenches and mm. created this, you mm. know, created a beautiful big gothic camp uh, work of art, really. Yeah. I think that's really nice. Quite inspiring. So is it celebrated now? Because of it, people didn't yeah. like it at first. Yeah. I think um, oh, it got that big... Tomatoes. Well, yeah, I mean, people... I think back at the time, people were just were wrong-footed by it because they wanted more Frankenstein-type yeah. shenanigans and never really got that. Yeah, I could completely imagine if I went to the cinema to see this and that's In what I was I would probably be like, what the fuck is this? It was... Apparently, it was more, it was more successful here mm. than it was in America. Yeah. So it was very, very, so according to Wikipedia, it was very successful in America for the first week, but then it got bad word of mouth and it just flopped very quickly. But over here, it was, it got a better reception. Yeah, like, I don't, Americans aren't that good with sarcasm and there's a lot of sarcasm. Yeah. Yeah. And we've got hindsight now as well, remember? So now we, now we look at this film and go, Boris Karloff's in it. 
it's set in a haunted old house yeah. you know like you were saying about Lich and the Adams family now the, the things in this film that were new back then they're all tropes that we see regularly in mm. horror and horror comedy and stuff so we've and got that now haven't we we appreciate Cap and it is quite it is quite British actually isn't it because yeah. all those jokes at the beginning are like saying well nothing happens in Shrewsbury <laughs> no, yeah. and Wales is just you know the, the you know, it's appropriate you know, Wales is underwater yeah. you're American you're not going to really mm. quite yeah. get the that, that's not going to really sort of click with you. That's true. I'm surprised we haven't used that as like some sort of promotional campaign. Nothing ever happened. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I've done it. The old dark crew, yeah. yeah. The old dark house Dose. set here. <laughs> so there you go. That was our 100th episode. Again, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to us and um, we love your feedback. So do get in touch. You can get me on Twitter at Johnny Larkin. You can get Stephen Moore on Twitter. HST99. Or Daddy Stay as well. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan Butler. Yeah, Cthulhu 502. And where will we get Martin? I'll be at the top of the stairs fetching a lamp. <laughs> I'm sure you will. <laughs> Beckoning us, us into your bedroom. Have I ever told you that the H in my um, Twitter handle and all my emails and everything stands for horny? Yeah. Horny Steve 99. Wow. That says a lot about what your, mm-hmm. your state of mind when you were setting that Twitter yeah. up. Yeah. yeah. What nine? <laughs> <laughs> <No>. oh. <laughs> That's a whole different podcast. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Twitter handle origins. Twitter handle origins. Yeah. So thank you very much. We uh, do hope to be here for the next one hundred episodes. Let's. Um, we've got. We've still got so much to talk about. Mm-hmm. I was thinking. I, I made a list in my head today of obvious films that we still haven't covered. So we've still got a lot more. Yeah. There's loads. Yeah. And they keep making fucking horror movies, so we're going to have yeah. to keep talking. Yeah, there's new horror films. We're yeah. Getting yeah, to talk about. Yeah. So get used to it, bitches. You're the only queer horror podcast that you need to listen to. Yeah. Toodles. Toodles. <laughs>